Couldn't set up the story of Esther any better than that. Last Sunday morning, we began a series, a short one for the next two weeks. We'll be there in the book of Esther. Last Sunday morning, we looked at her from God's perspective as well as our own perspective. We talked last Sunday morning about seeing people from the outside, and God sees the heart. This morning, we're going to talk about her as well, but we're going to talk about taking risks for God. Being willing to lay it all down. Knowing that it may cost us something, and in some cases may cost us everything. But being willing, really willing to take a great risk for God. No matter what the price or what the cost or what it is that he's asking us to do. Webster's Dictionary defines a hero as someone who demonstrates great courage and nobility, who performs great deeds involving daring and risk, often putting themselves in harm's way for the sake of people, principle, or cause. Heroism generally requires at least two things coming together. Circumstances, which provides the opportunity for the heroism to be displayed, and character, which provides the capacity to act in a heroic way. There are a lot of people who have the heart of a hero who really do want to take great risks, but haven't always been in circumstances where it can be publicly known or even demonstrated. And there are a lot of people who live out heroic faith that not a lot see. And there are some who by circumstances have been given the opportunity to act heroically and really demonstrate powerful faith and risk everything. But at that critical defining moment, lack the inner character necessary to pull it off. The Word of God is filled with both kinds of people. We're going to continue our study this morning with a girl named Esther, who we're going to see is willing to risk it all because of her belief and answer the question correctly that we asked last Sunday morning, am I just another pretty face or a servant of the living God who has been placed by God in a very strategic location for a very specific time, being called to do a specific task, knowing that it really may cost me everything to do that. But I'm willing and understand that I've been placed here for his reason. And so beyond the surface, there's much more that goes on. Esther had risen to a position of power and authority based simply on how she looked. Ever come across someone who lands into importance without working at it or working hard at it, who just inherited something, who inherited wealth or power as opposed to really working their way up through the process? If they're not careful, that kind of person may not develop a lot of depth or substance. We see it often played out in contemporary contexts with professional athletes who, for most of their lives, get treated as someone who is really important because they can hit, run, shoot, or catch. Now, there's nothing wrong with any of those things. But if the essence of your sense of importance and value comes from those things, it can lead to a lack of depth if you're not careful, unless there's something else going on in a person's life. <laughs> I'm always intrigued when I watch a football playing team that is being slaughtered. And then a guy who makes one catch, and you see it every so often in Steeler circles that in this year has intrigued me how he'll finally, after all of those things, make a first down and dance and scream and parade himself. And I'm saying, you made a first down, dude. Get back in there, give the ball to somebody and keep going. You're losing bad. But for some reason, that moment, they're so struggling with who they are inside, not all of them, but so struggling with who they are inside that they finally get that one moment to shine. And so they do. 
I've been blessed through the years to know a, a lot of people who have been given a lot. Some of them inherited it, but they really are solid. They love God. They serve him well. I've seen others on the other side who have been given a lot and never really fully understand that and don't seem to have a lot of depth or substance at all. And others that I know personally, some here in our services this morning, who really have been blessed but are really solid. I love to watch people like that, who understand that it's not all those things that makes them who they are, but who they are in Christ. The question we're going to look at this morning in Esther's life is, how does that get developed? How does that kind of character and development take place who in Esther's case had every reason to be superficial, shallow, and self-absorbed? How does that happen? How it can be developed in people like you and I? Find the answer. We're going to look at the book of Esther. The story is set in Persia. So if you have your Bibles, take them out. The people of God are living there in exile, far from home with not a whole lot of hope of ever getting back to where they were. In their hopelessness, God seems to be hidden. I'm sure there have been times in your life when you really do wonder where God's at in the midst of all of this. I haven't heard his voice in a while. I don't see him in action. I, I don't see him in action. I'm not sure where he's at. Hopefully you'll find out this morning and even more specifically next week that even though God may seem silent to you, he's very active, but not always in a way that you see. Last Sunday morning in chapter 2, Esther was the winner of a beauty contest, but she ends up being more than a beauty queen who end up risking it all to do the right thing. She's raised by a cousin named Mordecai who took her in as an orphan child, as Francis Chan said this morning, and raised her as his own. He functioned in her life as a dad. He overheard and uncovered a plot to kill the king, but was never rewarded. Now, the bad guy in the story is a man named Haman, who had risen to a level of prominence, who was obsessed with his own importance. And when Mordecai, a Jew, doesn't bow before him, and Jews don't bow to anyone but God, when this happened, Haman is enraged. Because this long-standing battle between the Amalekites and the Jews begins to come to his mind. He has heard stories about the battle and hatred and now finds himself in a position where all of this hatred for the Jews can come out on a man named Mordecai who in Haman's eyes doesn't seem to know his place. Full of that hatred, he goes to the king with a plan. Chapter 3, the book of Esther, beginning at verse 8. You there? Chapter 3, the book of Esther, beginning at verse 8. Go to the book of Psalms, turn left, as I said last Sunday morning. It's one of those real short ones that are in there. And Haman goes to the king, said to King Xerxes, There are certain people dispersed among the people in the providence of your kingdom who keep themselves separate. Their customs are different from all the other people. They don't obey the king's laws. It's not in the king's best interest to tolerate them. If it pleases the king, let a decree be issued to destroy them. And I'll give 10,000 talents of silver to the king's administrators for the royal treasury. King agrees to the plan. In chapter 4, Mordecai learns of the plot. Look at what it says. When Mordecai learned of all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, went to the city, wailing loudly and bitterly. But he went only as far as the king's gate because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. And every providence to which the edict and the order of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews with weeping and wailing and fasting. Many lay in sackcloth and ashes. 
When the Esther's eunuchs and female attendants came to her and told her about Mordecai, she was in great distress. She sent clothes to him to put on instead of a sackcloth, but he wouldn't accept them. And Esther summoned Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs assigned to her, and ordered him to find out why I was troubling Mordecai and why. He went out to Mordecai in an open square of the city in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him, including the exact amount of money that Haman had promised to pay the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict for their annihilation and that had been published in Susa to show Esther and explain it to her. He told him to instruct her to go to the king's presence and beg for mercy and plead with him and, her for, and for her people. So Hathak went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. She then instructed him to say to Mordecai, All the king's officials and all the people of the princes of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman to approach the king in the inner court without being summoned by the king has but one law. That is to be put to death unless the king extends a gold scepter to them and spares their lives. Thirty days have passed since I was called to go to the king. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you're in the king's house, you alone with all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And this is a key verse that maybe you've heard before. And who knows but that you've come to your royal position for such a time as this. First thing that God uses in Esther's life to form the necessary character to develop her faith, and especially the depth of that faith, is to use the strong direction and challenge of a devoted, tough-loving friend. In this case, her cousin, who's acting like her father, who in no uncertain terms says to her, Esther, it's time for you to step up. This is your day. I want you to go to the king and speak to him from our, on our behalf. Now, Esther understandably hesitates. And seems to say this, Mordecai, I'm sure things look clear from where you sit, but you don't understand what it's going to cost me to do this, which, by the way, you need to be prepared for when you're giving advice to someone because they may respond like this, hey, it's easy for you to figure out what I'm supposed to do with my life, but from where you sit and where I sit, it's a different situation. Esther gives her perspective to Mordecai in verse 11. Look, I just need you to know, it could cost me everything if I do what it is that you're asking me to do. Now, most of us would expect a friend at this point to back off, to respect the boundaries and accept the answer. We don't want to push anyone to do anything they don't want to do. But Mordecai pushes anyway. He realizes the stakes are high. He doesn't want to worry about Esther's comfort level, so he pushes her hard. Verse 13 to 14, he sends back the answer. Don't think because you're in the king's house that you'll get out of this. For if you remain silent, (coughs) all the Jews will suffer. But who knows, and again, that classic verse, who knows that you have come to your position for such a time as this. What Mordecai does is back her up enough to give her some big picture reality. Any of you who are being called by God to do something they're supposed to do, you need to know this. If you don't do something that God is calling you specifically to do, God's not in heaven saying, oh, great, now what will I do? Didn't see that one coming. Thought sure they'd do it. Nope. Kingdom of God is going to go forward. But if you're not obedient, God will raise somebody else up. But what you need to know is this. That which you have been called to do 
will not happen if you're disobedient to God. The specific thing that you have been called to do, the specific reason that you may be where you are, in your sphere of influence, in your workplace, in your world, in your environment, the specific thing that God is calling you to do may not happen if you don't. Mordecai seems to say to her, there will be consequences for you, Esther, and maybe you don't like me in your face right now, but I'm your best friend. And at the end of verse 14, he gives her a life-changing, God-honoring possibility. He says, Esther, think with me. Maybe the reason that you're there is not because of your beauty, but because of a bigger reason. Maybe God is calling you to something bigger. You have not been brought into this place in your life just so that you can live a wonderful, happy life. I believe that God is calling you to something bigger. And Esther, if you miss this, you may be missing the main reason that you've been placed there to begin with. If you've been gifted by God, and all of us to some extent are, whether talent or money or resources, whatever that may be, it wasn't given to us or you just for ourselves. It was given for a larger purpose. The situation with Esther was way more than about a beauty contest. Much, much bigger than this. Mordecai can't make her do it. This is a defining moment. And Esther responds, verse 16. Go, gather all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, day and night. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When it's done, I'll go to the king, even though it's against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Among the things that I believe God can use to develop deep, deep faith is friends, is relationships. One of the reasons we talk about being intentional in relationships and service is that we are absolutely convinced that one of the things God can use as much as anything in your life to deepen your walk with God to help you get to the point where you need to be is people that you trust, that you've allowed into your life, that care about you enough to push you, maybe sometimes past your limits, and call you out to do even more. Now, sometimes that person may be a mom or a dad. Sometimes in a child's life, they don't want to hear mom and dad's advice. Any of you ever been there? Or maybe it's a coach. Maybe it's a grandparent. Maybe a youth worker or a pastor. Maybe somebody else in their life, I've been fascinated at the amount of times in my own children's life where God has used someone else to say the exact same things we just said, but in a different way, coming from a different relationship, and they respond to that. For us adults, it may be a coworker, it may be a, a really good friend, it may be your husband or wife. I don't know if you've ever got if you guys ever have noticed how similar the voice of your Holy Spirit and the voice of your wife's voice sounds. You ever notice that? How, how closely the voice of the Spirit and the voice of your wife sounds the same in some respects. That sometimes we blow off and ignore. Sometimes there's people in your small group, someone who cares enough about us to not worry about making us feel good, who, who can come into our lives and say, you need to do what's right. Or maybe you need to know you're wrong. You need to quit blaming everybody else for where you're at. You need to look in the mirror and do the right thing. Stand up for your convictions and do what's right. Now, when you do, you've got to remember Ephesians 4, speak the truth in love. But to be able to walk into the life and say, I love you, 
And I think God's hand is on you. But I absolutely am convinced that you are capable of so much more. You have tremendous gifts and amazing opportunities, and you need to use those gifts and those talents for the glory of God instead of for what you're doing with them right now. Hopefully a lot of us in this room have had some great people in our lives who stress us, stretch us, who every once in a while get in our face and challenge us. The problem is sometimes these people have come into our lives and we not, may not see them for what they really are, a, a real friend. We have a tendency to push them away or ignore their advice and the value of the Mordecai's in our lives goes down the drain because we don't have the wisdom or humility to take their advice. The king in this story heard the truth from his wife and he got rid of her. He wanted people around him to tell him just what he wanted to hear. And if that's who you want around you, maybe that's what you'll get. But you need to know that you're in danger of the Hamans walking into your life or circumstances and situations that may cost you more than you thought you would. So one of the critical questions in this context here is, who's your Mordecai? Who loves you enough to tell you the truth? Who do you allow into your life to push you and to help you deepen your walk with God and deepen your faith? To expect more from you than sometimes you even expect from yourself. Now, some of you may say, I don't have a Mordecai. I never did. And that could be true. But for some of you, it may be more likely that you had them, just didn't like what they had to say. And didn't like them pushing you a little bit or helping you deepen your walk with God. Who in your life have you allowed in to be really honest with you and tell you the truth about what they see in you and the potential that they know is there and where they're calling you to or what they're calling you to do? Maybe you need to listen. If you have one or had one in your life, you need to thank them. Because when you look back over your life where you are now and where you could have been and where you would have ended up, had you not listened to that advice, you know and I know that it was the perfect time to have that person in your life. And if they're still around, you ought to thank them. Now, another question that obviously to me arises out of here is who's your Esther? Who is it that God is calling you to to, to love enough to push them, to challenge them, to help them, encourage them, to say you've been made by God to do more for God than what you're doing right now. Who can you be a Mordecai to? Who can you encourage? Who can you push? Who can you stretch? Who can you challenge to be you, what you know is everything God designed them to be? that may make it uncomfortable when you may not always be received and they may not always seem like they're hearing your advice. But who is it that God is calling you to stretch and push and encourage to be all that God's designed them to be? It may be your kids, maybe a friend or a coworker, or someone that God has strategically at a particular time in your life have placed them there for that reason so that you can be the one in their life to encourage and to push. The second thing that God uses to develop deep, strong faith is hardship or crisis. I'm not saying that God uses, always uses crisis and hardship, but he certainly can. And we all know that there are some events in our life that catapulted us into major 
growth spurts in our character development. Even though we didn't want to go through them, and we certainly wouldn't want to go through them again, but we wouldn't trade them for anything in the world because it was in the middle of that deep crisis or that moment of difficulty that God called us out to a level of faith and dependence that we could have never, ever believed. I didn't know Francis Chan's story, although I've heard him a dozen times until he said it on this video clip. I mean, most of us, many of us in the room, I even know me, would have crumbled, crumbled and buckled under all of that. But he has become one of the most amazing speakers I've ever been around. And every time we go to a youth conference and a life conference and he's there, thousands of kids flock to hear his words of wisdom. And he could have easily said, look, enough is enough, God. I'm done. I'm done. But he allowed that to take him so deep in his faith with God that he became a shining example of the difficulties in life and what God can do if we allow him, even when we're in the middle of them. Esther was there. And what she said in verse 16 is what sometimes God brings us to, that even if it costs me everything, I will do what I've been asked to do. So in verse 17, she sends Mordecai away, and they carry out the instructions. Crisis can make you or break you. But in the hands of God, received by people who are wise and humble, who allow God to take that situation and circumstance deep in their walk with him, it can produce faith that is strong and confident and continues to grow. So, what do you sense God calling you to do? You ever wonder if you are where you are in that business place or in that shop or that mill or that location or that job or that position or that classroom? very specifically to reach that one person that no one else could reach but you. And you know it's going to be a risk, and you know they may not reject it. They may not receive it. They may reject it. They may even reject you. But you're convinced that God has placed you there for a very specific reason, for such a time as that. Maybe it's way bigger than that. Maybe it is taking enormous risks with God. For some of us, we go through those difficult circumstances of life, and as I said a moment ago, they crush us. And for others in this room and others that I've known in life, they become so deep in their walk with God is fascinating. And had they not gone through that, their trust level and their confidence level in God wouldn't be where it is today. Wouldn't volunteer again to do it in a, heart, in a heartbeat. But they are absolutely certain that in the middle of all of that, God was present. They were obedient. They continued to follow. And God took that difficult circumstance and allowed it to be one of the most defining moments of their life because they continued to trust in him. If you have a Mordecai in your life, thank him. If you have an Esther in your life, speak to him. Somebody who loves you enough to speak to you, has challenged you in some way or the other, listen to him. Next week, two more things that God uses to develop this kind of faith to be willing to risk it all. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for your love and grace. It is amazing. And we have the opportunity to be recipients of all of that grace and givers of that grace. 
Father, I believe there's a lot of people in the room who have been incredibly gifted by you for certain periods of their life, certain time of their life, for a specific season or reason. And I trust that, God, you will speak by your Spirit very clearly and loudly in these days together as they spend time with you responding and reflecting to what it is they've heard out of this text this morning and then make decisions as to what it is that you're calling them to do. For the person that needs to be a Mordecai to someone else, I trust that you will bring their their face or their situation to them right now in the name of Jesus. Now all of a sudden this person or someone that they love and care about that they hadn't thought about before who needs to be pushed and stressed, stretched will come to their mind. And if there's some of us in the room who have been given great advice by people who really love us, but we've not listened to it, to walk through that again and listen very carefully to what may be being said to us and what we need to do. Thank you again for your word. So glad it lasts this test of time and still stands all these years later as a great model to live the life that you've called us to do. In the name of Jesus, we pray.